Masechet Babakama Daf Mem Gimel. We're continuing a discussion of Rabbi Akiva's explanation of this pasuk. Vemit ish o ishaf an axe gores a man or a woman, then uh, you uh, stone the animal and the kofet is paid. Um, so for a short mo'ad. Question is, why do you have to say ish o isha? We already know from the previous pasuk where it says man or a woman. So surely um, the punishment would be the same for a man or a woman. Why do you have to say this? And uh, Rabbi Akiva explains that was talking about who will inherit. If an ox gores a man, so, and he, he dies, so who gets the payment? His heirs. So too, if an ox gores a woman, a married woman, um, so she is dead. So obviously she's not getting the money herself directly. Who gets the money? You might have thought the husband get, gets it because the husband inherits the wife. But no, the word Isha comes to, comes to teach us that her heirs inherit the kofed, which means he pays it. The owner of the ox pays it to her heirs. Good. Now, Rabbi Akiba, he did say in general that a husband inherits a wife. So the question is, how come here, why is this different? I know you have a pasuk, but why should it be different? And so we explain that um, there is a difference between money, that property that is already in the estate, already is owned by her, versus receivables, that's ra'ui, uh, versus muhzak. Muhzak, anything that's already in the estate, when she dies, that goes to the husband. But something that is ra'ui, that is only owed to the estate, but not yet there, uh, does not. And here, since the uh, the payment cannot possibly happen until after she actually dies, um, even though, um, let's say, you know, she's uh, she's sick for a little for a little while, um, and but uh, it's not until she actually dies. Only then does the short get the sikila, and only then does the guy have to does the owner of the ox have to pay. So since the payment is only coming in by definition after the victim dies, so therefore uh, there is no payment at the time that she's alive that's not in the estate, so the husband doesn't have any right to it. That's all that we said yesterday. So therefore we see Kofed is an exception to the rules. True, the Be'akiva thinks that the husband inherits his wife, uh, but not for Kofed. Okay, and we have a pasuk that proves not that proves that that is that, that is the case. Now we ask, Hold on, is that true? Kofed is the only exception uh, to the rule that the husband inherits his wife. What about nizakin, a payment for damages? Not kofed if she dies, but damages as follows. If someone strikes a woman who is pregnant and causes her a miscarriage. Now he has to pay all the things. He pays for damage and pain to the woman. Well, she's the one that felt the pain after all. Okay, so that does make sense. Uh, but the compensation for the miscarried fetuses, that goes to the husband. The idea is he's the head of the household, he's the father of the house, and so the uh, compensation for the fetus goes to him. Now, if the husband, there is no husband because he died, then it goes to his heirs, the payment for the fetuses. And if there is no wife because she died, then the payment for Nezek and Sa'ad go to her heirs. This is the key thing that we're looking for. You see here, this is a payment of uh, of, of damages, meaning she's still alive when the damages are owed. 
all right because she didn't die from that um she, uh, someone hit her she lost her pregnancy now that guy owes her money right he didn't pay yet and then she died so at that point according to the Biakiba's logic wouldn't it make more sense that since this is owed to her so then when she dies it should the payment should go to the husband all right why does it stay with her right and so right would he not also say that the uh, that that's another exception because look over here says that the wife gets it um, now we've just finished the Braita with a not related case. If a man hit a pregnant woman who is a Shivcha Kanaanit, um, who became free, so now she's Jewish, or she's a convert, the common denominator between both of them is that they have no heirs. Their biological relatives are not their legal legal relatives. So she has no relatives. And even let's say she was married. But her husband died, and her husband was himself a convert who also doesn't have any heirs, and they didn't have children, and so on. So if, there's, if there are no heirs, then the assailant benefits because there's nobody to pay it. So there's nobody to claim the money from him, so he gets off scot-free um, if he does that. All right, that's the end of the, uh, of the Braita. And so now the question is, in this Braita, why doesn't the husband inherit the wife, right? After all... The uh, it happens. The the uh, occurrence happened while she is alive, and therefore, at the time that she died, this is uh, a payment that's due that's due to her, which the husband should should also get, like the same way he would inherit a uh, a loan that's due to his wife, that is there and current. Rabba says, oh, we're talking, this paraita is only talking about a case where she had been divorced. Um, let's say they were married, she became pregnant. Then they got divorced while she was pregnant. After they got divorced, so, uh, okay, so at the time of divorce, right, they, whatever they, uh, uh, I mean, he owns probably all he, he owns what he owns anything she brought into the marriage or made herself she keeps right they divide the assets according to halakha according to what it says in the ketubah good after that she's still pregnant a, a man comes and cause assails her causes her, her to lose her pregnancy um, at that point uh, she receives the money herself because why the husband doesn't take her get it anymore and therefore the money is owed to due to her if she dies after obviously her heirs will get it because a husband doesn't what doesn't inherit his his ex-wife right this is his ex-wife when she dies anything that she then has goes to her heirs that's what we're talking about Rabbah and Rav Nachman say but you're right if she had been married then yes you're right it would go to the husband now we ask about that if she's divorced does is that what would, would the, the husband really get all the all the money for the payment of the fetus? If she's divorced, then shouldn't she get a part, half of the compensation for the fetus? Like, I understand when they're married um, that uh, he's the head of the household, and although she is, she has some, uh, she's uh, uh, bearing the children, she has uh, uh, some uh, partnership in the, in the development of these fetuses, um, even more in a way, but still, okay, he's the father's the head of the household, and so he is going to, he should get that money, and he'll right, uh, do what, use it for you know, building the family in the future, and so on. Okay, good, I understand if they're married, 
that the payment of the fetus goes to him, he's responsible for the kids. But if they're divorced, then it doesn't make sense. Uh, uh, he, she should get some of it. That yet the, that Baraita said that he gets all of the money for the vladot. So Amara Papa Torazikata Deme Vladot Baala Fiduba Aleha Biznut Maitama Amar Kera Kashir Yashit Alav Baal Ha Isha. The Papa said, Yeah, you're right, it would make sense, it's logical that if someone's divorced, then she should have a share in the payment for the miscarried fetuses. But the Torah said so, uh, that the uh, husband gets all of the money, even if they were never married. Uh, a, a man and a woman have extramarital uh, intercourse, and she gets pregnant. And then someone uh, hits her, and she loses the fetuses. Even in that case, the man gets all of the money. Why? Because the Pasuk says, Kasher Yashit Alav, Baal Haisha, as the literally husband of the woman uh, will assess. Um, but we're reading Baal, not as husband, but Baal, uh, as a verb. Uh, whoever is the one who had relations with this woman, um, he gets the money for the fetuses. So there you go, it's a Gezerat HaKatuf, and that explains why. Okay, good. So now we understand this is a case of divorce, and that's why everyone would agree, even the Akiva would agree that she gets the money, her heirs get the money, um, but if they were married, then indeed a husband inherits his wife, um, even for the payment of uh, of uh, Sa'ad and Nizikin, if she dies, then the husband would get that uh, payment. Okay, now we ask, Hold on, why do you have to say that that Braita is talking about a case where they had gotten divorced? Uh, that was the answer of Rabba and Rab Nachman. But each of them actually has a better answer that they could give. According to Rabah, why not say it's where the Betin had already collected uh, cash from the assailant and they're holding on to it, and that's when she died. Or according to Rav Nachman, it's when they collected land to pay for the Nezek and, um, and Sa'ar, and they're holding on to that, and then she died. Why? What's the difference between these two? Well, in general, Rabah says, the Abay and Nachman here are talking about also in case of inheritance, but here this time for a firstborn. The law is that a firstborn gets double, but he gets double only of that which is muhzak, uh, uh, that which is currently in the possession of the father when he died, then the uh, the firstborn gets double of that. But if it's ra'ui, if it's only incoming receivables, right, just an increase that adds, comes in later, the firstborn does not deserve double from that. So what's considered ra'ui and muhzak? Rabban and Rav Nachman have a machloket about that, and they say the opposite of each other. Rabban says if they collected land, and the, and the land came into the possession of the inheritance after the father died, for a loan, let's say, then the firstborn gets a double of the land. Why? Because even when the father was alive, he had a lien on the land to pay for the loan. So the lien is kind of like possession. And so even though you know they had to go to and, and actually get it, um, uh, physically t take it, um, nevertheless, it's as if it's already in, and therefore the firstborn gets double of the land. But if they end up getting paid 
from cash, then not so. Cash, there's no lien on a cash, uh, on cash, and therefore the cash is considered ra'oi, something that only came in after. Rav Nachman thinks the opposite, uh, that if they collected um, money to pay for the loan, well, you know, the loan was money um, that the father had lent out, and now there's some money out there, so we consider that as if it's already um, the, the, the property of the father. It's just that it has to be paid up, but the, uh, that, that money is considered already the father's, and therefore the firstborn gets double from that. However, if they collect it from land, he thinks the opposite, that a lien does not, is not ownership of a land, of land, and therefore a land, you've got to go through a process to go and actually get the land. It's more complicated. And therefore, the land is considered ra'oi and doesn't go to him. So therefore, since we know that, according to Rabbah, who says that money is not considered part of the inheritance, um, if it comes in later, it's not considered part of the father's uh, 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 property um, when it comes in later. So Rabbah can explain this baraita as being um, that when she died, and the, uh, her, she lost her, her fetuses, and uh, the, the betin is collecting from money, uh, but she died in the, in the meantime. And so this money that they collected is not considered uh, part of her uh, property when she died. It's only ra'oi, because only cash. And that's why, uh, in that case, since it's ma'ot, um, it could be that they're actually married. You don't have to say divorced. They're married, but this is only receivables. It's only Ra'u because it's cash, and that's why her heirs get it. Ram Nachman, on the other hand, could say, is talking about a case where um, the assailant paid with, uh, with land, and uh, the land, as it was being uh, collected, but she died uh, before, uh, before it was fully collected, and so he says that karka is not considered, uh, the, we don't consider the lien to be ownership, and so that was not within her property, it was not mursak, it's only called ra'oi, because it was only land. And that's why, since she died, and it was, and the payment was only coming in through karka, that's not considered mursak, it's only ra'oi, and that's why her heirs get it. So you see, you can have a better solution, this is better because you don't have to say that the Beraita is limited to a case where they had gotten divorced in between. This would be most cases, most cases they're married. And, you know, and um, it is uh, equally possible that the assailant would pay with money or with uh, land. So you could make this ukimta is easier to make than that saying that they're divorced. So why don't they answer that rather than say that the husband and wife are divorced? And the answer is, You're right. Uh, when uh, the Rabbah and uh, Rav Nachman said this, said these, these these explanations, they were only saying that according to Rabbanan in uh, uh, for for the West. In the West, they follow the opinion of Rabbanan, who say that. The rights of the firstborn are limited to the father's property, what, what he has now, and not anything that comes in after the father's death. And so that's why they made that distinction. But here, when they gave their, their answer that this, this is, but I was talking about divorce, they were saying, they were following the Biudanasi's opinion. The Biudanasi says a firstborn gets double, not only of what's muhzak and already in the father's property, but even, even that which comes in after the firstborn also gets uh, gets that. So you see, he doesn't make a distinction between Ra'ui and Murzak, and therefore, according to the B, 
this distinction between land and uh, and and a cash either way would not be relevant because he doesn't think doesn't matter even if it comes in after we still consider it part of the inheritance and therefore in the case of the woman even if it came in after she died uh, the husband should should still get it and that's why uh, according to the B follow in the footsteps of the Rabbi Rabbi and Rabbi Nachman have to say we're talking about a case where the entire injury happened after she had already gotten divorced. So the husband has nothing to do with that, with the payment of that, um, except that for the Vladot. Yes, for the Vladot, he's the one that um, made her pregnant. And even if they were divorced at, divorced at the time that he made her pregnant, that wouldn't matter. Um, the father of the fetuses gets the money for the fetuses, even if they were never married. Um, but this is the case of, that the Baraita is talking about, where... The wife, uh, her, her heirs get it because she was divorced. And in this case, everybody would agree, uh, even Rabbi Akiva, who says that in general, a husband uh, 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 inherits his wife. The exception would be Kofed, because Kofed is only owed. The, uh, the whole payment only kicks in after she's already dead. And so there's no, there's no possibility that the husband can inherit that because it only comes in after, and uh, this case um, where they're only when they're already divorced. But if they weren't divorced, uh, then the Rabbi Akiva would, would say that the husband gets the, uh, and, and she dies, the husband gets the payment, um, since the payment was already in effect, um, was already owed, and according to the B, there is no difference between whether it comes in later or not, and so uh, the payment will go to the husband if they're married, and she only, her heirs only keep it if they were, if they had been divorced. Next, we discuss an animal that kills unintentionally. teaches that if an ox kills a slave but it does it unintentionally, the owner does not have to pay 30 shekel. How do you know? Because the Pasuk says that in a case where a Shod Mo'ad kills a slave, the owner has to pay 30 shekel to, uh, to, to the owner of the slave. The owner of the ox has to pay 30 shekel to the owner of the slave, and the ox gets sikila. So you see that these two laws are connected. Only when the ox gets sikila, then the owner of the ox has to pay 30 shekel. Um, but that would only be if it has intention. You don't kill the ox for doing something unintentionally and meant to do something else and ended up killing a slave. You don't kill the ox. Um, so if you would kill the ox because it did intentionally, then you'd have to pay. But if, if you do not kill the ox because it did it unintentionally, then the owner also does not pay the 30 shekel. So that's it. It's all or nothing. Both punishments or neither punishment. That's Reshakish's chidush regarding the payment of 30 shekel to a slave. Rabbah gives a parallel uh, statement regarding kofir. Amar Rabbah, Shor shemit ben chorin shelo bechavana patur mi kofir. Shenemar, hashor yisakel vegam be'alav yumat. Im kofir yushat alav, kozman shashor biskila be'ali mishalimim kofir. En hashor biskila en be'ali mishalimim kofir. Rabbah teaches that an ox that 
that kills a free person, not a slave, free person, and but he does it unintentionally. He does not have to pay kofed, uh, because the pasuk says, and regarding shor mo'ad, that kills a person, that the shor gets sikila and the owner dies. So and uh, uh, but the owner doesn't have to die because he can pay ransom. So you have these two punishments: the the animal gets sikila and the owner pays ransom. So these are these two are linked together. Only when the uh, ox is uh, killed with sikila, then the um, owner has to pay the kofed. But if a case like this, where the animal uh, killed but without an unintentionally. Uh, then, since it doesn't get sikila, the owner also does not have to pay kofed. Okay, very good. Seems simple enough. Uh, but we're going to challenge it from uh, Abaye. I was going to challenge it from my Mishnah in Masechet Ketuot. Itive Abaye. Hemit shori et peloni. O shoro shel peloni. Hareze meshalem alpi atzmo. My love, kofed la damim. The Mishnah teaches that if some there's no witnesses, a person comes and admits and says, uh, my ox killed that person, or, or um, my ox killed the ox of that person. We're focusing on this one, that I admit that my ox went and killed a person, but there are no witnesses. Uh, since there are no witnesses, there's not going to be sikila. Um, to the animal, right? You don't even, on, based on admission, you don't give uh, death penalty to the animal. Um, and the, yet the Mishnah says that one pays, uh, one pays. So what is he talking about? That's the words of the Mishnah. A person does pay based on his own admission. Well, what is he paying? Is he not paying kofed? Even though uh, the uh, animal does not die in this case, because it's only by admission, no witnesses, nevertheless, he pays kofed. This goes against uh, the statement of Rabbah. A good question. And so we answer, La damim. No, we're paying uh, money, just monetary damages, not kofed. There are cases where kofed and damim would be different. For example, if you evaluate kofed based on the mehamazik, um, then that would be very different from the damim, which is based on the damage to the nizak. Here, the nizak is killed. Now, I mean, if an animal goes and uh, gores and uh, causes injury to another person, certainly I would have to pay. So if it kills the person, certainly killing includes injury. Uh, so uh, just because the animal doesn't get killed and I don't pay kofed, doesn't mean I go scot-free. I at least have to pay for injury. That's what I was talking about when there's no witnesses, and my, I, but I come and admit my animal killed someone. The animal doesn't get killed. I don't, so therefore I don't pay kofed. But when it says in the Mishnah, I have to pay. We're talking about damim. It's a monetary payment. Good. E damim emasefa. Fine. That works as an answer to the resha of that Mishnah. But look at the continuation of the Mishnah. Hemit shori et avdo shel ploni eno mishalem api atzmo vim damim amayla. Continuation is if I come and admit that my ox killed someone else's slave. Again, there's no witnesses, so we don't put the animal to death for do, for doing this. And here the Mishnah says, I do not pay based on my own admission. So if, uh, okay, I certainly understand, I'm not going to pay the 30 shekel because we just established Resh uh, rule that you only pay 30 shekel when the animal gets killed. But here there's no witnesses, the animal doesn't get killed. I'm not going to pay the 30 shekel. Also, the 30 shekel is a fine, and now I wouldn't pay a fine based on admission. Um, so, uh, so that makes sense. It's not talking about 
uh, that, that this makes sense if it's talking about um, the 30 shekel payment because 30 shekel payment will not be given, paid based on admission and also won't be paid any case where the animal does not die. So the sefa makes sense if you're talking about a 30 shekel payment usually that you give for a slave. But if the resha is damim, and then the sefa should also be talking about damim, and if my ox went, and if it caused injury to your slave, would I not be liable for, for to pay money to for that injury? So here too, I could say, here too, um, if we're talking about injury in the resha, then this should also be talking about injury. And why not? Why don't I pay? I should have to pay injury in both the resha and the sefa. Okay, very powerful question. Rabbi answers Abaya's question. Rabbi says, listen, I could have answered you with a flimsy answer that indeed the Resha is talking about a monetary payment and the Sefa is talking about a fine, the 30 shekel. Uh, but indeed, yeah, you would have to pay the uh, a monetary amount in the Sefa too. Just the Sefa is not, is to not be talking about that. But that is a forced answer that's easily rejected because it's not a very good answer to say that, oh, the Resha is talking about a different type of payment than the Sefa, right? Because if it's talking about the same payment, then one would have to pay in both. And if it's talking about the uh, standard payment of Kofed or the 30 Shekel, then one would have to pay in neither. So it's not a very good answer to say that the Mishnah is talking about two different types of payments. So I'm going to give you a better answer than that, right? I see. So you better appreciate this better answer because I could have pushed you away with an, with an easy answer. But here's the better one. So both Resh and Sefa are in fact talking about monetary payment for damages nevertheless even in monetary payment there is a different distinction between a free person and if the victim is a slave and for a slave um what well, one does not pay not even uh damages uh, if there are no witnesses how do we know that as follows ben chorin de bishlam kofed al piatzmo um so in there is in ben chorin a free man, uh, ox kills a free person. There is a case where I would have to pay kofed, even based on my own testimony, and therefore it would make sense that I also have to pay damages based on my own testimony. Whereas, as we're going to see for Evid, there is no case where I would have to pay knas based on my own testimony, and therefore I also don't have to pay damages based on my own testimony. That's the uh, structure of the argument. So let's fill it in. Where is a case where I would have to pay kofed based on my own testimony? See, the problem is, kofed, by the way, is not a fine. Um, uh, so, uh, theoretically, you could pay kofed based on testimony, but the thing is, as we saw above, that anytime there's no payment, there's no, anytime the ox doesn't get killed, then there's no payment for kofed. And so, usually, when there's no witnesses, the ox is not going to get killed. So we have to figure out a way where somehow there are witnesses and the ox gets killed, and yet um, uh, that's not sufficient for me to have to pay the kofed. But I, the kofed is only paid because of my admission. So how can we concoct such a scenario? You'll see here. Uh, In fact, there were two witnesses, and the witnesses say, we saw this, your ox, 
kill that person. However, the witnesses just don't know if it's a short tam or a short mu'ad. Now, either way, whether it's a tam or mu'ad, the ox is going to get killed. Any ox that kills a person, the ox gets sikilah. So in this case, the ox would definitely get sikilah. However, kofed payment is only given if it's mu'ad, not if it's tam. So therefore, I don't have to give kofed payment because the witnesses uh, did not say whether it's tam or mu'ad. But then the owner says, although the witnesses did not say that it's Mu'ad, I want to admit to that. So now we can combine the two witnesses who say for sure that there was something that was killed here by my person was killed by my ox. And I come and add that information that it was in fact Mu'ad to Mishalem Kofer al That's a case where I would pay Kofer because in this case the ox is definitely getting killed based on the witnesses. So now, my admission just adds the necessary missing information that it's Mu'ad and I pay Kofed based on my own testimony. Since there is such a scenario where I pay Kofed based on my own testimony, therefore it makes sense that that also when there is no witnesses, I should have to pay something. It's not going to be Kofed, but it's going to be a payment of the value of the uh, of the damage, uh, which is a, a, a monetary payment. So it makes sense, since there is a scenario, I would have to pay based on my admission, a kofir, so too, I have to pay damages. But there is no such scenario regarding Evid. Evid does not pay kenas based on his own admission, based on the admission of the owner. Because what would be a parallel case? Witnesses came and said, we saw, uh, they saw my ox kill a slave. But they don't know if it's Tam or Mu'ad. Uh, so, in this case also, the the uh, the animal is going to get Sikila, surely. Okay, good. Uh, but I don't know if it's Tam or Mu'ad. If it's Tam, I don't pay the 30 shekel. If it's Mu'ad, I do pay the 30 shekel. Even when the master, when the owner admits that it's a Mu'ad, and so it seems I have all the... Uh, necessary ingredients because this, the shor is killed no matter what. So we have no problem with the uh, statement that we started off with, uh, with Resh Lakish. Uh, nevertheless, I still would not pay the 30 shekel because that is kanas. And that's just a, a fundamental rule. One does not pay a kanas based on one's own admission. And though, even though over, the, over here, the admission is only adding a, one ingredient, I already know that the animal killed um, uh, based on the two witnesses. Fine, that's sufficient to kill the animal, but it's not sufficient to pay kanas, and I can't pay kanas based on my admission that it's mu'ad. Since there is no such scenario where I would have to ever pay the kanas based on my own admission, um, so too, when there are not two witnesses, um, also uh, not there aren't two witnesses at all, and I just come and admit my shor, which is mu'ad, killed a slave, I do not pay, certainly not kanas, and I do not even pay for the damim. And that's how Rabbah says, I can explain that Mishnah in Ketubot, that the entire thing is talking about damim, and there is very subtle, um, but uh, um, but clear difference between the two, right? The, the difference boils down to that the 30 uh, shekel payment to a slave is a fine, but kofer is not a fine. Kofed is a payment 
Um, uh, but it's just that it's linked to, both of them are linked to the killing of the Shor, and so they cannot, um, uh, the Kofed or, or uh, 30 Shekel cannot kick in unless the Shor is killed. So if there's no witnesses, the Shor won't be killed. Nevertheless, when there's no witnesses, there is still Damim to be paid regarding killing a free person because Kofed in its essence is not a fine, whereas um, killing a Shod without witnesses, I do not pay Damim because uh, the 30 Shekel payment is a fine in its essence. And so that, that uh, translates into a difference of whether there is payment uh, at all when there are no witnesses. All right, so all that seems like a very good. We worked very hard to get an answer, but we're still not going to be satisfied. Mativ Rav Shemuel Bar Rav Yitzchak. Shemuel Rav Shemuel Bar Yitzchak asks a question from the following Baraita. Kol shechaya beben chorin, chaya be'eved. Ben bechofer, ben bemita. This gives a general rule that any time an owner is liable to pay, for his ox that kills a free person, he is liable also when it kills an Eved. And that's true both for Kofed and for putting the ox to death. Now, what does this mean? Kofed be'eved mi'ika? What do you mean, whether it's a free person or it's a slave? And you mentioned Kofed. There is no such thing as Kofed regarding Eved. It's the wrong category. Elalav damim. So rather, when it says Kofed here, it must refer, mean uh, a monetary payment. What you see here is that this Baraita equates Ben Hodin and Eved. Regarding, regarding Mita, yeah, we got. When there's two witnesses, you put the, the axe to death. Otherwise, you don't put the ox to death, and that's that is true. That's the same for killing a free person or an or an avid. But we just established uh, a minute ago. Uh, Rabbi's answer in that Mishnah says it's all talking about damim, and here we just proved that this Badaita is also talking about payment of damim, and yet here it says that the owner is liable in any case where a free person or a slave, the same. So that would mean that there, when, there are, when there are no witnesses, has to be the same, right? But you just said that for Ben Chorin, I have to pay Damim when there's no witnesses, but for Evid, I don't pay Damim when there's no witnesses, but here it says they should be the same. All right, serious challenge. Um, so the following answer, some say it was Rav Shmuel by Rav Yitzchak, who gave the answer. He gave the question and he gave the answer too. But others say that it was Rabbah who gave the answer. This is the, the Braita. This is how you have to explain it. You have to add a few more explanatory words. Anytime the owner has to pay when, it, when his ox kills a free person, and when, when would he have to pay? When the animal does, kills a person intentionally, and there are witnesses there, in which case you kill the animal, and then the owner has to pay kofir. So in the same, same scenario where there are witnesses and it kills on purpose, if it's an Evid, he doesn't pay kofir, but he has to pay kanas. The animal gets killed and they pay kanas. So that's where they're equal. 
And there is another case when, when they are equal and both pay damim, right? In the first case, uh, they pay kofed or, or the uh, kanas of 30 shekel. But there's another case where in that, uh, both scenarios, they would pay damim. But neither of these cases have to do with admission. So um, let's explain first. Um, so when my ox kills a, ben, uh, a free person, but it does it without intention, although there are witnesses there. So since, uh, there are witnesses. Since it did it without intention, the animal is not going to be get is not going to get the death penalty. Since it doesn't get sikila, the owner also does not have to pay kofed. Even though he doesn't have to pay kofed, he still has to pay for damages. And that is the same in regarding an eved. Um, if my animal kills a slave, but it did it without, without intention, so therefore it does not get sikila, so I will not have to pay a fine. But there are witnesses that it killed. So even though it did it without intention, nevertheless, I have to pay damages. I don't have to pay the kanas because kanas is linked to it to the death penalty. And the ox doesn't get that death penalty because it did it without intention. Nevertheless, you still have to pay damim. So here, there is a case regarding uh, uh, my, an ox killing a slave where one has to pay damim. That's true, but it's not a case of admission because if it were admission, uh, if it's admission, uh, uh, then uh, then um, there, since there is no possibility of ever paying a fine where with admission, so too there's no damim with admission. But if there are two witnesses, um, in which case you you would have to normally, if it was bekavana, you would get death death penalty and you'd pay. Um, and you'd pay the kofed. So since there is such a scenario, uh, therefore, if you're just missing the death penalty because it's shalobe kavana, uh, there, th- then there you do pay damim for ebed. So uh, Rabbah answers, this is what this baraita meant. This was very terse, and you have to add a lot more words, but in essence, that's what this was talking about. But this was not talking about a case of admission, so he sticks to his principle that he said before that when it comes to an owner admitting, then this is what the Mishnah and Ketubot said one only has to pay in the case of killing a free person, Damim, but one does not have to pay uh, on, upon kill, uh, one's ox killing a slave. One does not pay anything, certainly not the, the, certainly not the fine, and not even Damim. And so that's how we resolve the, all the questions against Rabbah. Rabbah next asks uh, a follow-up question uh, based on what Rabbah just ruled. Amar le Rabbah, Ihachi, Isho shelo bechavana al piedim neshalem damim. Rabbah tells Rabbah, if you are correct that even when someone does not have to pay ransom because, let's say, my ox killed someone else, but it did it without intention, and therefore, since the animal does not get killed, so I do not pay kofed, nevertheless, even when, for my ox that kills, I don't pay kofed, I still do have to pay damim, I have to pay damages assessed by the value of the victim, right? If you now you just introduced this law that you have to pay damim, even when you don't pay kofed, I have a question. What does that connect transfer from shor to esh? 
isha. Um, if my fire goes ahead and kills someone um, without intention, I didn't intend to kill them, it was by mistake, my fire got out of control and killed someone, and there are witnesses. Uh, now, I'm not going to get the death penalty because I did it without intention, but maybe I should have to nevertheless pay for injury, right? So based on your ruling, um, should we not transfer that also to fire? Now, uh, we ask about a uh, clarification about Ravah. Why is Ravah assuming that I would, wouldn't pay? He's asking, like, how, how come you don't transfer this law of a payment of Damim also to Ish? Well, uh, um, and, uh, right, and, and you don't pay, if you pay with, if you pay Damim for short, why don't you pay Damim for uh, fire? So now we're asking, well, has Ravah know that you don't pay for fire? Maybe you do. Okay. So now we're going to look, uh, we're going to try to find three ways in which Rava knows that you don't pay Damim uh, for fire. In the end, we're not going to find a source and we're going to end up saying, actually, Rava wasn't sure about this very question, whether you pay Damim for fire that kills unintentionally. And that's what his whole point was, uh, should we transfer this or not? Right? He's actually asking a question, not a challenge. But right now we're, we're reading this Amale Rava um, as a challenge, and so Rava is challenging it because he assumes, uh, right now, this is what we think, that one does not pay damim for fire. So how do we know that you don't pay damim for fire? Here's a possible source. Number one, Ilema miditnan, maybe it's from a Mishnah, later in this Masechet, Hayagidi kafut lo, ve'aybet samuch lo v'nisraf imo chayav, evet kafut lo ugdi samuch lo v'nisraf imo patur. If uh, there's a goat that's bound up next to, uh, bound to something, uh, next to a pile of hay, and there's also a slave there, the slave is not bound up, and I go and I burn the hay, and it ends up killing the uh, killing the donkey goat because the goat is is uh, bound up and can't get away. And now it kills the slave too, but the slave was not bound up, and the slave should have ran should have run away. So I'm not liable for killing the slave. So that's not my problem. I do have to pay for the hay and the goat because this is monetary damages that I caused. Um, and I have to pay for it, I am not chayab mita for the evid. Um, however, if the slave was also bound up to uh, a pole there, and the goat also was bound up next to it, and I burnt, the, I burnt everything all together, now I caused the death of the slave directly. So I am liable to the death penalty. Because I'm liable to the death penalty, Patur, I do not have to pay. So you see here, what does it mean pay? I don't have to pay anything, not even uh, damages. Uh, so maybe, maybe it have, I learned it from here, uh, because here's a case where I, uh, I, I, I killed the slave, but it was by mistake. And um, uh, we're assuming right now is by mistake, and yet I don't have to pay anything at all. So is that is this not a source for the to teach me that I don't have to pay? Shakish says no. This is talking about a case where I went purposely and directly lit the slave on fire and then to spread to the other things as well. So here I am liable to death penalty and therefore we do apply Kim and that's why I don't have to pay anything at all. Certainly when I'm li liable to the death penalty, 
there I don't pay anything, not amim, not, not, not nothing. And that's what this Mishnah meant. It was simply uh, showing a, um, a contrast between a case where the slave could have gotten away, in which case it's the slave's own fault that he decided to stay in the fire and, uh, and get killed, that's not my problem, so then I have to pay for the uh, all the damages. Uh, but if the slave is uh, is there and he can't get away, then I'm liable to a death penalty. So uh, this is not a source for Rava, Rava's assumption that there's no damim regarding Esh when I kill unintentionally because that was actually intentional and I get the death penalty in that case. So maybe Ravan knows it from here. There's a Braita that says, um, in what way is fire more stringent than uh, a pit that uh, causes damage? Ah, because a fire is uh, considered forewarned to, to, to consume, whether it's something that it normally does consume, meaning fuel, or something that's not fuel. If I light something on fire, it doesn't matter if it's wood, that's usually fuel, or uh, some other item that I wouldn't usually burn, I'm still liable for burning an item no matter what it is. That's not true for board. Uh, but I'm only liable for certain things. An animal that falls in, I'm liable. Vessels that fall in, I'm not liable. So that's a stringency of fire overboard. That's the end of the Braita. Look how we notice that it does not say that a fire I have to pay when, when I light a fire without intention um, and it kills someone that I have to pay damages and not so for board but I don't pay damages. You see it doesn't say that here since it doesn't say it. It must be because it's not true uh, that a fire also I don't have to pay damages even when it kills someone unintentionally. So is it that is that Rava's source for his assumption that damages, Adamim damages are not paid for Esh? We say not necessarily. This is an argument from silence. Dilma Maybe this Paraita mentioned one item, and maybe there are more differences. And maybe this uh, Esh is in fact another difference where I do have to pay Damim for Esh. It just didn't bother to mention it. So uh, there, there, therefore, that's not a source either. So we tried two sources, but in fact, we end. Oh, you're right. Um, Ravat did not know that, and Ravat was actually asking this very question. When my fire kills someone, but it was unintentional, I'm not getting a death penalty, um, do I have to pay for the damages or not? Here's the two sides of it. And here's two ways to come to compare Shor and Esh. Regarding Shor, where if my Shor kills someone intentionally, then I have to pay Kofir. Shor Mo'ad, where uh, there are witnesses, um, then I have to uh, then I have to pay kofir. But if it does it without intention, 
then I don't pay Kofed, but I do pay Damim. So it seems Damim and Kofed go together. They, they're a pair. Kofed, when it does have Kavana, Damim, when it doesn't have Kavana, that's all for sure. But for fire, where if I, uh, if my fire, I, I light a fire with intention to kill someone, uh, I don't pay Kofed. There's no such thing as Kofed um, in, uh, in that case because I get the death penalty, right? It's not like Shor, where it's indirect fire. I'm doing it. Uh, so I would get the death penalty. There's no such thing as Kofed. Uh, so, too, if my fire kills without my intention, unintentionally, then there's no Damim. Maybe there's only Damim when there is Kavana. Sorry, when the Damim, when there is Kofed, but if there's no Kofed, there's no Damim. That's one side of it to say that uh, there is no Damim payment for Esh or Dilma Kevan de Gabesh Shoro. Shalobe Havana Fagav de Leka Kofed Meshalem Damim, Gabeshonami, Afagav de Behavana Lomeshalem Kofed, Shalobe Havana Mihat Meshalem Damim. Or maybe there's no difference and there's no connection between Kofed and Damim. And we'll say, since eh, regarding the ox that kills without intention, even though there's no Kofed, you still have to pay Damim, right? So it has nothing to do. There's no Kofed, but you still pay Damim. So to regarding fire, where there's never Kofed, even if I, I, I burned someone on purpose, um, so too, uh, just because there's no Kofed, it makes no difference. Shalom Bechavana, when it's done without intention, when there's no Kofed anyway, not even in any case, I would have to pay Damim, right? In other words, um, anytime there's no Kofed, for a short, I do pay Damim, but that's, when there's no Kofed, I pay Damim. So when there's never Kofed, I also would have to pay Damim. And we don't know what the solution to this, but this was Rabbah's question. He wasn't challenging Rabbah. He was just wondering, oh, maybe we could try to solve this this uh, this um, uh, this dilemma from Rabbah's statement. Next, after discussing uh, at length the opinions of Rabbah and Resh Lakish, we're going to see an opposing opinion. Also from Eretz Yisrael, Rabbi Yochanan says, a colleague of Resh Lakish, Rabbah is from uh, Bavel. So Rabbi Yochanan teaches, Kofer matamod lomar im kofer. Lerabot kofer shelo bechavana ke kofer bechavana. In the case when an ox scores a free person on purpose, Shor Mo'ad, it says, that really the, the that the ox not only gets the death penalty, even the owner should get the death penalty, but if im kofed yushatalav, if he wants, he can pay ransom. Now you don't need the word im there. It could just say kofed yushatalav. Don't kill him. Uh, he can pay ransom. Why does it have to say if? Um, oh, that's an additional that that word is an inclusive word to include that there is kofed payment even when the animal does not kill intentionally, just like one pays when it does kill intentionally. So this is a biochanan, the opposite of um, Rabbah's statement that we learned above. Rabbah said that the kofed payment is only when when the ox kills on purpose, because that's when you kill the ox, and if you kill the ox, then also you pay kofed. But if it's not intentional, and you don't kill the ox, then you don't pay kofed. Rabbi Yochanan says, no, I disagree. Rabbi Yochanan is before Rabbah. So he doesn't have to disagree with him. Rabbi Yochanan does not agree with that position. He says, im includes kofed in, or in both cases. Abaye says, if Rabbi Yochanan uh, disagrees with Rabbah because of the word im, notice that regarding Eved, it also says the word im. The Pasuk says, im Eved yigach hashor o ama, 
Um, if the ox kills a slave, it's part of the scenario. It sets up the scenario. It says if it should be a slave that it kills. So it also has the word im. So maybe that word im also is including that uh, for an ox kills an evid, one has to pay the 30 shekel of silver, not only where it does it on purpose, where the ox gets killed, but even if it does it uh, by uh, uh, not intentionally, where the ox doesn't get killed, still the owner has to pay 30 shekelim. And that would go against the resh lakish. So maybe you'll say, oh yes, that's indeed so. Rabbi Yochanan would say that. Uh, that Rabbi Yochanan would say, yeah, in all cases, yeah, um, just like, the when it kills a free man, you have to pay kofed. So too, when uh, my ox kills a slave, whether bekavana or shul bekavana, I have to pay thirty. Maybe indeed, Rabbi Yochanan would say that. Why? How could he say that? How much Shakish? Sure, shemita ta'ev shul bekavana patum shiloshim shekalim. The Shakish said not so. That if an ox kills a slave without intention, one does not pay the thirty shekalim. Amale gabra gabra karamet. Rabbi Dimi said tabaye. What you're asking one person against another. They are contemporaries. They can argue with each other. It's not a Tana. And so, so what? Yes, in, in fact, Rabbi Yochanan is in fact arguing, could be arguing against Resh Lakish. And sure enough, when Rabin came from Eretz Yisrael to Bavel, he said this explicitly in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, Ayved, could have just said, Ebed, um, the extra word im comes to include that one pays 30 shekel if his, if his ox gores a slave, whether it did it intentionally or not intentionally. Good. Now, since Reshakish does not agree with this derivation of the extra word im regarding Ayabed, he doesn't agree with that derivation, so it would seem that Reshakish should also not agree with the derivation of Kofed im Kofed. And so therefore Reshakish must agree with Rabbah um, that regarding the animal killing a slave, killing a free person, also one does not pay when it's not Bekavana. And so because he doesn't agree with Rabbi Yochanan in this derivation, it must be he doesn't agree with Rabbi Yochanan in the second derivation at all. Right? Is that true? We say not necessarily. Amre la Eved im Eved la Darish. Kofed im Kofed Darish. It could be that Reshakish would not fo- follow the derivation of the extra word im regarding Avid, but he would follow it regarding Kofir. Umayshana, what's the difference? Isn't it the same syntax? The answer is no, it's not the same. Eved im Avid la ketibim kom tashlomin. Kofir im kofir ketibim kom tashlomin. The word Eved im Avid, that appears, the word im Avid appears in the presentation of the scenario. If the ox would kill a slave, then and then and then then says then you pay thirty shekel. So there, it's it's just setting up the scenario. If this happens, so there's no reason to um to think that the word im is extra. You just need the word im to set up the scenario. But the thirty shekel remains as is, and that's where the Reshakish says the thirty shekel is connected to the killing of this of the ox only if the ox gets stoned. Then you pay thirty shekel. Otherwise, not. The Shakish holds that to be true. But regarding kofed im kofed, there the im, the word im is said not in the setup of the scenario, but in the 
uh, verdict that um, he, the, the, per, the owner deserves a death penalty, but he can pay. So the word im is said regarding the payment, and therefore it is an extra word there, and it comes to add that uh, one does pay, kofer, whether the animal killed intentionally or unintentionally. And therefore, it could be that Eshakish splits the difference, and he thinks that one only pays 30 shekel to a slave when the slave kills intentionally, but one has to pay kofed no matter what, whether, this, whether the ox kills intentionally or not. Baruch Adonai Amen v'amen.